Thank you so much. This morning, we continue with 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 20, with a little comment concerning 21 to 25, but the major text is in chapter 2, verses 18 to 20. Of all the things that God calls us, equips us for in Christ as saved men and women and boys and girls, of all the things in our faith, I think possibly, if not the most difficult, at least at the top, is this whole issue of submission. Now, let's be honest. At least, let's be honest in church. Can we pretend to be honest today? (laughs) How many of you really find it just easy as pie and totally joyful and always a pleasure to submit to others? (laughs) Any hands in here? I mean, really, it's, it's, it's a difficulty. It's distasteful. I mean, quite frankly, we don't like it. How many of you agree? We don't like submitting. I mean, really, come on, come on, come on. We don't like submitting. You see, you didn't raise your hands. I'm not going to raise my hand. I don't care what that man says. You see, how many of you don't like submitting? Oh, wow, look at this. You see, brother, this is only about 10% of the hands went up. We got a 90% of people in here who don't like submitting, we don't like it. Because you see, it is so contrary to the grain of our natural person. And it is so contrary to this whole philosophy which, for which we thank God in our country. But in a spiritual context, this philosophy that we are all created in a way that we don't have to listen to somebody, that we can be our own people. Submission is a very difficult question, uh, consideration, activity in our lives. Peter has been writing to the scattered church. And if you remember in chapter 2, verse 9, after Peter has explained about their great salvation, what God has done in chapter 1, he moves into chapter 2. And he says, you know, at one time you were not a people. You weren't God's people, but now you're God's people. And who are you as God's people? You're a royal priesthood. You're a chosen nation. You know, you are God's holy people for his own personal, particular possession. And then at the, in that verse 9, he says, This is what God, why God has done what he's done. If you want to know why God has saved you, there's several of these purpose statements, so that, so that, so that. And this is one of several. Why has God saved us? So that we might, do you see it in verse 9? Would you follow along? So that we might do what? Proclaim or show forth the what? excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light excellencies of him the excellencies of God's grace 
the excellencies of God's person, the excellencies of who God is and how God is. Excellencies. And I want to to make sure that we see that in this particular passage, as the one last week which Keith dealt with concerning governmental, our submission to the government, there is a major means of our displaying this excellency. And that is through submission. You see, submission in the Bible is not something that is minor. Submission in the Bible is massive. It is massive. From the very beginning, don't eat, to the very end, submission is one of the primary considerations and revelations of who God is through his people. In fact, when Jesus comes as a man, he is, he is wrapped, if you would, wrapped in submission. And so when we think of this term submission, we need to do what the Holy Spirit is wanting us to do, to get it off the ground of something that is obnoxious and tears at us in a way that we are irritated and frustrated. To get our eyes and our considerations and our understandings and our feelings into the very heart of God himself. So let's read this passage 18 to 20 in chapter 2 of 1 Peter. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Father, this morning as we hear your word, as we share, Father, by the power and presence of your spirit, touch our hearts and our minds. Father, touch our attitudes. Minister to us. Father, show us the glory, the beauty, the power of what godly submission is. Father, so that when we leave today and we encounter authorities in our lives, Father, we will embrace with the kind of joy that Jesus did, the opportunity that in our submission we are declaring the excellencies of him who has called us out of the darkness into the light of his marvelous grace.
Father, minister this morning by your spirit. We ask this confidently because this is what you said you want to do and you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I want to go through these three verses and just kind of look at the issue of submission from just various aspects. Look at the facets of submission that I believe are in these verses. So first of all, submission is God's request to us. What does he say? Servants submit. Did you see that the apostle Peter didn't say, could you submit or would you submit if you're having a good day? What is the word submit? It is a command. So the first thing we learn with the issue of submission, that this is God's command to each one of us who will call by his name. Servants, be subject or be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Now, your Bible may say servants, your Bible may say slaves. Now, when Peter is addressing these people, what he's doing is accentuating by addressing slaves, which, as you know, Rome had slaves. And by addressing slaves and telling slaves to submit, what we believe Peter is doing is accentuating the necessity of our submission to authority as God's means of declaring the excellencies of his grace. Now you may wonder, and Keith addressed this again last week, when I read the New Testament, I don't find anything in the New Testament That condemns slavery. Well, if you look at the Bible, and especially the Old Testament, you know that the God who created mankind in his own image condemns slavery. If you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that. But you see, God has something greater than our natural condition in his mind. And this is so important for us. We have our natural condition in our mind preeminently too often. But God has something more, more permanent, more lasting, more glorious than our natural condition. Is he concerned about our natural condition? Yes. But it's not primary. It's our spiritual or relational condition to him that motivates and moves God. Listen to this quote from Thomas Schreiner concerning this issue of slavery. Modern people often ask, why the New Testament writers did not criticize the institution of slavery or advocate its overthrow. And you may be thinking that this morning. You may have thought it from time to time in the past. The latter was completely unrealistic for the fledgling New Testament church in the Roman Empire. Why was there not criticism of the practice? Again, we must remember that New Testament documents addresses readers in the situation in which they live. The New Testament writers did not believe that overhauling social structures would transform their culture. Their concern was the relationship of individuals to God. And they focused on the sin and rebellion of individuals against their Creator. New Testament writers therefore concentrated instead on the godly response of believers to mistreatment. It is crucial to note that the New Testament nowhere 
commend slavery as a social structure. So what is the Holy Spirit dealing with? You see, if he were to begin to deal with the institution and the activity of slavery, that takes the emphasis and that takes the purpose of God to a place that we are not going to be able to walk in it in a way because we're not going to hear what God wants to know, wants us to know. God is interested in our transformation. And so he addresses these people where they are, and wherever they are, he says this, in whatever circumstance you find yourself, submit to those who have authority over you. Now, this is difficult. I mean, this is difficult. You see, although addressed to slaves, what we'll do this morning, since any slaves in here? I didn't say, do you feel like a slave? Any slaves in here? Is there anyone owned by another person? And so what we'll do this morning, we'll use the word masters as a euphemism maybe for the boss. Now, do any of us work for somebody or under someone's authority? Anybody at all? Anybody at all? Okay. So it basically covers most of us, probably all of us at one time or another. So we'll talk about the boss. How are we to relate to our boss? Now, you think of your boss, or you think of that boss that you had, or you think of the boss that you're afraid you're going to get. I mean, I know how this is. Keith is a senior pastor, and I know how it is to have to come in and submit to a boss. Man, man. And not only is a senior pastor, he's Irish. And then he doesn't even play sports well. And it's obvious that I am a preeminent sportsman. Man. So I know a lot about this suffering for, of, of, because of submission. The other guys on staff can tell you how much I cause suffering. I mean, I am suffering. <laughs> we are to submit to our bosses except where sin is expected of us. We are to submit to our bosses except where sin is expected of us. Now, I'm not going to take the time in this, but I'm going to say it this way. We submit to our bosses, and you need to write this down if you don't have it in your notes because you don't have it in your notes because it's just come to my mind. We need to submit to bosses except where Bible-defined sin. <laughs> you see, there's a lot of sin out there that these bosses are doing, and I don't want to submit. But it's not Bible-defined sin. It's sin as I am defining it. How many of us know that our definition of sin is often not the Bible's definition of sin, and the Bible's definition of sin is often not mine? So it's not just the issue of sin. It's specifically what this great Word of God says is sin. When this Word says it's sin, don't submit. And if you're not sure, go read your Bible and let's find out. Last week's definition that Keith gave us from I. Howard Marshall. Submitting literally means placing oneself below another person out of respect that is expressed in obedience appropriate to the relationship. So I take my will and I put my will underneath the will of this person who has authority over me. 
so that I, except for sin, may carry out the will of the authority over me. Now, that's tough. It's just downright obnoxious a lot of times. So having been commanded to submit, let's look a little bit about what submission might look like as we continue through these verses. Continuing verse 18, what did he say? And I believe that this is the crux of the whole issue of submission. I believe in these words is the power and motivation of all that, Paul, uh, all that Peter will say in the next several verses. Look at verse 18, and he says, Servants, submit to your masters. Now, there's a prepositional phrase. What does it say? With, I, I can't hear you, all respect. Submit to your masters. How? It's a prepositional phrase. What? With all respect. All defines respect. It modifies respect. How much respect? All. In other words, we are called to submit to masters, to the boss, to the authority, with absolute, complete respect. Anybody have a difficulty with that? You're telling me that? No. The command of the Holy Spirit. But who is the object of our respect? Now, if we look at the verse, we think it's the boss who's the object of the respect. I don't think so. You see, this is a reverential respect. It's actually the Greek word phobos, which means fear. And every other time in the letter of Peter, this word is used in reference not to people, but to God. So here it is. And I think this is the issue primarily. And I think the rest of the verses will unpack this particular issue. And this is the heart of it. As believers, God has purposefully and strategically place each one of us in a situation, in a context with someone else with the design of declaring the excellencies of his great grace. As we are called to declare the excellencies of his grace, through our submission to this authority because in doing so we are honoring and revering and trusting and obeying the God who has saved us and who has placed us. The respect here isn't for Mr. Jones primarily. Notice I didn't say don't respect Mr. Jones. The basic fundamental issue of respect here is that I and you are called 
in our submission to a boss to do it because we respect God, because we respect him for saving us, because we trust and respect him for placing us in the place that he wants to place us for the maximum proclamation of the excellencies of his grace in any particular situation. You see, it's, it's an issue really of having nothing really to do essentially with the boss. It's essentially to do with God. It's essentially about God. You are where you are because of God. And he's calling us to submit because of God. Because he's doing a great work in us. Even sometimes in a vile situation. You see, we are called to submit to our masters out of reference and honor to God who is our real master. And as Keith said, this is mind-blowing submission to the world. And especially to Satan who was not submitted to God and who was thrown out of heaven. Why do we find it so difficult to submit? Because that rebellious nature is in our flesh and God is rooting it out day by day through the power and the work of his spirit as he is transforming us and conforming us to the only submitted man who has ever lived Jesus Christ the Lord that's what this is all about with respect There's a great verse in Colossians chapter 3 after Paul has been doing the same thing as Peter, telling about slaves, submit to the masters. And at the end of verse 24, 324 of Colossians, here's what Paul says. Here's what Paul says. The quintessential activity of your submission to a master is that you are serving, it is, for it is Christ, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. That should cause us pause. Think about how you and I have submitted what attitude and motive we have had in the last week, month, or years as believers. The way we submit to a boss in the view and attitude and sight of God himself is the way we are literally submitting to God himself. Now that should bring some sober-mindedness to our submission. If you don't have motivation to submit because of that, you ain't going to submit and you can't get motivation because that is the heart of the motivation. We are doing this unto God himself. Well, you see, let's continue with verse 18. I have a lovey-dovey, wonderful boss. I don't, but I'm just speaking <laughs> euphemistically now. And so it's easy to submit to this man or woman because that person is just so gentle and kind and loving and all that. Oh, I love submitting. I love submitting, right? I love submitting. But look what he says in the verse. Whether the boss is what? What? 
good or bad or unjust or harsh, depending on what translation you have. <laughs> now, wait a minute. You're telling me that if I have a boss who is harsh, unjust, crooked, dishonest, belittles, no morals, that I had to submit to this thing, except for sin, the Bible says what? Yes. You see, here's some questions. And I thank my wife for these, because I don't come up with these kinds of questions. She does. Well, no, she's, she's better than I am at all of this. Now, think about where you are and how, what circumstances you've been in. Do we have to be submitted to a boss who gives us more work without more compensation? Are you working more and not getting paid for that? Is that just? Yes or no? Is that just? No. Do we have to submit to this guy? I have to work under these conditions? Do we have to submit to a boss who gives our promotion to this jerk? I mean, why is he in charge when I know that I'm the man to be in charge? I had to submit to that kind of a person who promoted Joe over me? Do we have to be submitted to a boss who is stingy when the business is doing well and they're making money and he's driving this big old luxury thing and I'm barely making it from week to week because he won't share a little more in my salary? Do I have to be submitted to a boss who speaks demeaningly to me and withholds praise from me? Hey, you! Go do that! Go do that! that I have to submit to this? Do I have to submit to a boss who is overly demanding and who treats me like a servant? This is the kind of boss, unjust, Shriner continues and he says this to us. He says, believers cannot opt out of obeying masses who are wicked or disreputable. Peter was scarcely saying that Christian slaves should participate in evil or follow a corrupt master in an evil course of action. His point was that slaves cannot exempt themselves from doing what a master says, even if the master is wicked. Why? Now, you don't have to raise your hands on this. But I dare say that there are many in here, if not today, in the past, and if not in the past, and not today, tomorrow. So wait, wait a day or two. You are going to have the opportunity of submitting to an unjust boss. Remember this. Who put you there? Why did he put you there? For the excellencies. And how are those actually to be displayed? For you, except for sin in each situation, to say to the boss, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Why? Because I'm doing it. Because it's the Lord Christ whom I'm serving. And I picture this man or this woman as God's instrument in bringing forth the glory of his presence. 
in this circumstance. You see, not such mind-blowing submission not only catches the attention of the world, it catches the attention of other believers. Now, come on, how many of us have even within the last week or two complained about our boss and said what we were going to do or what we wouldn't do? Come on, come on, come on, come on. Yeah, well, he thinks I'm, there's no way, you know. And it, and it, boom, boom, boom. We all carry it. It's called flesh. There are none of us who are exempt from this. There's not a person in here who is exempt from this. This is, you see, a fundamentally difficult proposition for us. Because at the heart of the problem that is in us is rebellion. Hath God said, don't eat of the fruit of that tree? You see, God, not even God can tell me what to do. See, this is a major issue. Don't take this today as another sermon in a series. Don't you do that. Jesus came enveloped in submission. Everything about this great heavenly man before the incarnation, during the incarnation, and after the incarnation, from eternity to eternity, everything about this great God of ours and Lord Jesus Christ, if it's about anything at all, it's about his submission to the Father. That's what God is bringing forth in my submission and in your submission. And that's what we are denying God when we are resisting submission, submitting to a boss. Submission also is an experience. What is the experience of submission? Now, verse 19, for this is a gracious thing. What? Submitting to a boss, especially to a nut, right? Okay. For this... The submission to a nutty boss, an unjust slave driver. This is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. You see, such submission will cause us anguish on the inside. Have any of you ever experienced anguish as you had to submit to somebody who was unjust? Anybody in here ever, come on, anybody ever feel that, that feeling inside of me? Come on, man. That feeling inside of me, all of us have. You know that old feeling. Of, oh, we don't. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, 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 yes. And we are just doing whatever. You know, we are writhing with anger and resentment and rebellion on the inside. When yes, sir, I'll go do it. You're suffering. You see, but that suffering can and will become a means of God's grace in me and in you. What does the verse say? If we do what? Keep our minds where? On God. Does it say that? 
Did I misread the verse? Mindful of God. If we are mindful of God. Remember what I said, with respect, now it's mindful of God. With respect, mindful of God. You see, God is the centerpiece of each of the verses. He's a centerpiece of submission, and he's a centerpiece of the activity. He's a centerpiece in the activity of uh, suffering. He's the centerpiece showing the excellencies of his own grace in this. It's God all over the place. If we keep our minds on God, if we keep mindful of God, listen to the way the Apostle Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. For this momentary slight affliction... You're suffering the difficulty, the anguish, the anger, the resentment, the frustration, the bubbling over inside of you because of the way you've been treated and the circumstances in which you work, you have to submit to this devil. So you may think he's a devil. So Paul says, first of all, it's a momentary, it's a slight affliction. It's a little bit of suffering is preparing for us, God is at work, mindful of God, an eternal weight of glory beyond all, the circ- uh, beyond all comparison. Why? How? As we look. Mindful of God in this verse 19. As we look. Mindful of God. Not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal they're the heavenly so what are you to do i'm called into this god has a purpose for me in this what is that the excellencies of his grace i'm obedient keeping my mind on god who is the center and focus of all that I have and all that I am, and as I am doing this, I'm going to suffer in my flesh because there's stuff in my flesh that just needs to be boiled out. And as I do that, God is at work conforming me every day more and more to the image of his great son. I must say this. Suffering in and of itself is not redemptive. Redemptive mean what? Transforming into the image of Christ. Just because I'm suffering doesn't mean that's a redemptive activity. It's suffering in and for and with the purposes of God. That is suffering that is redemptive. You've heard of this, just take up your cross, just take up your cross. I was taught years ago when we went to camp that the long pier that we used to go down out to the swimming place, if you walk on this barefooted and the hotter it is, ooh, in your suffering, God is going to be using this to forgive sin. And so, you know, suffering, oh, I'm suffering under this, I'm suffering under that. God must be doing a great work in me. All suffering is redemptive. You'll see that in a moment. A whole lot of it is because we just mean, not because we're so good. So what is the result of submission? What's the result of it? You see, I think it's not wrong to ask this question. What do I get out of it? Oh, Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. You see, it's God's joy 
It's God's joy to cause us to expect something good from Him when we obey. Come on, daddies. Come on, mamas. We're not working for salvation. This is works of salvation, rewards. Why should I expect something? Why? Because God has promised a reward. I should expect it. I should look forward to it. If you take the word reward and do a study of this, that word in the New Testament, you're going to be amazed at how much Jesus, I mean the Beatitudes, every one of them are followed with a reward. God has created us to be pleasure-needing people. We need pleasure. Why? Because our pleasure is in Him. But sin, of course, has twisted it. Now, Peter's talking about two kinds of suffering here. Suffering as a result of sin, as I said. If you're suffering because you're just mean as a snake, he says, that's just too bad. That's your fault, and you need to suffer until that meanness maybe is beaten out of you. So if you're as mean as a snake, and you're nasty, and you're, you're rebellious, and you're loudmouth at work, and you're critical, and you're trying to do things and work behind, and then do whatever, you need to suffer. Because as a believer, you're saying something contrary to the very nature of God himself. But you see, when we do good, he says, and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. You see, suffering in this context for doing good. What is doing good? Keeping God in mind. For it is the Lord Christ whom we serve. Being servants of God, knowing that he has placed us in the context to work under such an authority. All of that, looking for a reward from God as we are obedient children because he has promised a great reward for us. That's good, he says. Suffering, if you're suffering in that context, he said, that's good. See, such suffering with endurance receives a reward. What does endurance mean? It doesn't mean this, I'm just going to do this, I can't stand this, but I'm going to do it anyway. That is not enduring. Endurance is continuing and preserving in the circumstance as we are trusting and obeying God with joy. See, endurance here is not just grit your teeth and get on through it some kind of a way. Five o'clock is coming. It's Friday, and I won't have to see this beast until Monday morning. <laughs> Thank God for the weekends. Oh, man, endurance is persevering and continuing through it with the joy of knowing that God is not only in the midst, but God is bringing forth His excellencies to bear as a revelation in my life and in this circumstance of my submission. You see, the reward is not connected with the activity of suffering, but to the attitude of suffering. I mean, you're not going to get a reward just because you suffer a lot. But if you suffer as a believer... 
with respect to God, enduring it with joy. God is well pleased. I said it's a gracious thing. I mean, who suffered more under the hands of cruel and unjust authorities than the Lord Jesus himself? Who suffered more? Do you think that your suffering or my suffering even begins to touch his? Anybody in here would think, yeah, but Jesus didn't work for my boss. (laughs) Well, that's how we think. And because we think that way, that's why we complain. The problem is, yeah, Jesus, but he doesn't know my circumstance. Isn't that much of the heart of what we're doing? Isn't it? I mean, am I incorrect in here or isn't it? Yes. And what does the Bible tell us in Hebrews? How did Jesus endure? Oh, for the joy that was set before him. He did what? He endured the cross. He didn't just, okay, I'm going to go to the cross. He said, I embrace it with joy. Why? Because it is my Father's single only means of birthing his family and bringing them home. And he says, because my father will use this to save his children, Jesus says, yes, submission, yes. What is my submission or our submission to an earthly master compared to this? What is it? In fact, Hebrews goes on to say, you haven't shed any blood yet, have you? You've been shedding blood? Well, maybe you've been yelling and screaming so much that blood is coming out of your mouth, but that's not because you're suffering. You haven't shed blood yet. But what is our reward? Our reward is a whole lot of different things, I think, in heaven, but here is the real nature of our reward. It's God's praise. You know, at every child, if we have a child who is being raised correctly, and even if he isn't or she isn't, every child's heart, it may not sound like this and seem like this, and at various times of their development, maybe they're too young for this, but as they grow, their heart is this. They want to please mommy and daddy. They want to please us. They want to please us. Some of the difficulty in our lives is that when they do things that we don't like or disprove of or whatever, we show them a side of us that isn't pleasing, and then we don't show them a pleasing side later. What is the reward? There's no greater reward than this, the praise of God. Listen to this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Paul's talking about standing before the Lord in judgment. Now, how many of us know that that is a sober thought, that every one of us will stand before Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, and be judged one at a time? That is a sobering thought. Everyone in this room will stand in judgment before God Almighty himself, every one of us, and that should be a sobering thought. Even if there's no other thought, that should cause you to say, I'm going to pray that God and I will together work on this attitude of mine, and I'm going to be a submitted servant in a godly way. Why? Because you're going to stand before the judge of the world. And so he's talking about this, and he says, the Lord will bring to light 
on that day, the things hidden in darkness. You think you're getting away with something today, don't you? There's coming a day when the spotlight of God's knowledge will shine brightly on it and reveal every aspect of everything that we have ever said, done, or wanted to do, or whatever. The things, light will bring to light, the not will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Why? Why? Then, as a result of the great judgment of God for us believers, God is going to do that. He's going to deal with the final issues that are in us, and then we will, each one of us, will receive his commendation or praise from God. What is the purpose of the judgment? The purpose of the judgment is not to catch us in anything or to punish us for anything. It's finally to deal with any residue or whatever it might be in my life so that God can finally totally clean me of any and all practices whatsoever, having already been forgiven, so that I may be enveloped in the arms of his grace to receive his praise. That's what the judgment is all about. This is the reward of God's people. Jesus said, At the end of the Beatitudes, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for so persecuted they the prophets who were before you. He says, rejoice. Do you believe, do I believe that God is rejoicing over my submission to a master with respect? Do you believe God's rejoicing over that this morning? Do we believe he is? Then let's not take away his joy by doing it differently. Let's not steal, if you would, steal his joy. You understand what I mean. You see, as we suffer with endurance for submitting to an unjust master, our great reward will be God's joy over us. Oh, yes, we're going to have standing and ranking and activities in heaven. But the foundation and the atmosphere of it all will be the pleasing and praise of a God who said, in the thick of things, in the worst thing that you experienced, you exemplified my grace. By seeing that person or that circumstance as an opportunity through your submission, keeping me in mind, that I would be honored and exalted in your submission. Isn't this what Jesus did when he went to the cross? Can all of us say, thank you, Jesus, for suffering on our behalf so that we don't have to be punished for our sin. Can we say thank you for that? And he did it through his submission. Shall we who have been saved, sanctified, and secured by his submission now be revolting against that activity that he desires to use in my life and yours to bring forth 
more salvations into the kingdom and to build the strength of his children through maturity. What kind of an attitude will I have when I go back to work Monday? When I go back into that situation, when I serve under that particular person? Colossians 3.24, for it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Finally, the example of submission. Who, not what, is the example of submission? I've been saying it all the while. Jesus himself. Let me read these verses to you because they underpin, they are the theological basis for whatever has been speaking about and what will come in a couple, next time we get to it in chapter 3. Because that's going to be dealing with marriages, and that's going to rock some boats. But it shouldn't. It shouldn't. Should it? For to this, to what? Submitting, especially to an unjust person, with respect, with God in mind, suffering, graciously, enduring for the excellencies of his grace. For this, for to this you have been called. You've been called into this. You are where God wants you to be. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. It's all about God. He committed no sin. Neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him, to God who judges, judges justly. He himself bore our sin in his own body upon the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Submission was the entire context of the coming of the Son of God. Philippians 2, chapter, verse 5 through 11. He humbled himself. He submitted it is the very atmosphere in God himself as the three persons of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit function within the context of submission where the Son submits to the leadership of the Father. The Holy Spirit is also submitted to the leadership of the Father and the Son. You see, submission... is one of the most powerful, mind-blowing revelations of who God is in himself. Why am I called to submit this way? Because this is God. He's showing the world who he really is. The humility of the Son of God. Allowing submission, being worked out in obedience. What was the result? Verse 9, Philippians 2, Wherefore also God has highly exalted Jesus. 
that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of things in the heavens, things on the earth, and things under the earth. And every tongue shall confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. This is what we're called to. This is the joy. This week and forevermore. Let us approach our jobs and our circumstances where we have authorities over us with a brand new grace-motivated, grace-empowered, grace-gold submission. And when the enemy of your soul in your flesh begins to cause that feeling on the inside, that little tightness, that little shortness of breath, that little gripping of you when this person is acting or treating you in a way that you just don't want to do this thing or submit or whatever it is, remember this. God is saying, my son, my daughter, I'm in this. And it is my joy as you submit as unto the Lord. You see, the Holy Spirit wants to wash us. He's already forgiven, but he wants to wash us of the practice of rebellion in us. Because there's nothing clearer than a heart submitted under adverse circumstances that will show the world the cost of the cross to Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. I'll close with this, this statement and this question for us, and then I'll pray. I want you to answer this in your own heart. Was Jesus' submission under the worst and most adverse circumstances, was his submission and suffering worth it for us? Was it worth it or not, church? Yes. 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 Then as we sing, let's remember this. Is my submission worth it to God? Is it? Yes. Yes.